Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 156 of Impact Boom. My name is Nicolene Arns, founder at Nick Nick and contributing editor at Impact Boom. And I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Claire Carpenter. Claire founded The Melting Pot, Scotland's Centre for Social Innovation, one of the world's first co-working spaces back in 2005 by leading a grassroots group to create an innovative new type of resource base for a niche audience and establishing it as a social enterprise. Claire leads the business development, creating initiatives to stimulate and support social innovation. This includes Good Ideas, a free incubation program which helps people turn their ideas into change, and innovative services that power up globally the next generation of co-working businesses through the Co-working Accelerator. In 2016, she received the inaugural Social Enterprise Champion Award at the Social Enterprise Scotland Award and in 2017 was shortlisted for the UK Social Enterprise Awards Women in Social Enterprise category. Her expertise is in personal, organizational and community development and Claire tours internationally providing a range of inputs on subjects including quality co-working, leadership, social enterprise development and incubating social change. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Claire's insights about the position of social enterprise sector in Scotland, what is Claire's view on the role of community building within the social enterprise sector, and the future of co-working in Claire's experience. Hello Claire, thank you very much for joining us. Could you please share a bit of your background and the path you took to get where you are today? Okay, so my original background is in community development, working with young people and with adults, doing outdoor environmental uh, education. Lots of social entrepreneurs come from an uh, outdoor education background, it seems, but it is in Scotland anyway. <laughs> Risk-taking people, perhaps. People, people. Yeah. So I came from that community development approach. I did an MSc in human ecology, which was kind of all of the things that are terribly wrong with the world, and it was a bit overwhelming. And I wanted to do something practical that would help people who wanted to make social change, people like me and other people I knew who wanted to make social change. I wanted to create a resource space where people could come together to work, to learn, to connect, to get things done, to be inspired, to inspire. And, uh, yeah, share, share resource, share time, be with others, be motivated. And uh, that type of model of getting a shared physical space and sharing it with other people on a flexible basis and curating community that's become uh, this this big thing called co-working that's going on around the world. 
Yeah, because in 2005 the whole term co-working did not even exist it, yet. No, it didn't exist. In fact, Cosmopolitan magazine ran an article, I think, in 2018. saying the next new thing, you know, it's not that new, it's been around, we've been doing it for more than a decade. And uh, yeah, there was a few people around the world doing that. This notion, those sort of disruptors, all pioneers are disruptors and innovators. So we were disrupting the rental market for workspace because prior to that it was all fixed term leases it was very expensive and you know you could work from home you could work for a coffee shop if you drink coffee work in a library but not that effectively or you had to take out an office and sign long leases and who's going to do that in this changing world of work and now the serviced workspace industry is all talking about being the flexible workspace industry because they realize nobody wants that anymore. That's a great trend. Uh, can you please tell us more about the melting pot and the co-working yeah. accelerator network? Okay, so the melting pot, Scotland Centre for Social Innovation, our mission is to stimulate and support social innovation to make social change happen. It's not about creating a workspace shared workspace and what we run here in this co-working facility is what enables social change to happen and we've had loads of people over the years ask us oh how, how do you do that how, how do you create a co-working business those talk about space i i refer to it as, it's a co-working business that we're running it happens to be in a space the co-working accelerator with investment that we received from the scottish government has enabled us to take our intellectual property of 15 years of the setting up process that's a huge journey in its own life setting it up opening and making it run this co-working business we've harnessed teams worth of a decade of work and pulled it together into a resource sort of co-working in a box really and we're enabling people to open their co-working businesses in their place rooted in their community whichever type of community wants to serve in their place. So we've worked with people in Australia, in Canada, New Zealand, around Europe, even in Malaysia and Africa. So it's starting, it's only been the first few years, it's been the pilot stage, but we're confident that there's a market and an opportunity and a need. And we're looking at ways to, to take that out because being in business is hard work. Opening a co-working business to help other people open and or run their businesses is hard work. So how can we take the pain out of that and just get more of these great facilities going on all over the country? That's what we're doing. And all over the world, what I hear. And all over the world, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. expanding, that's exciting. It is. But it's not a franchise. It's about enabling people to stand on our shoulders and stand on the shoulders of the other people we've talked to over the years. Just don't do it all from scratch. What a waste of time that is. To see different communities and how they tackle this same yeah. problem all over the world must be very exciting. Absolutely. Quite like to go to Bali, work in their co-working businesses. <laughs> that sounds good, That's a, especially yeah, in the yeah, Scottish yeah. winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've, we've come into full spring now, it's marvellous. <laughs> what, oh, yeah. what brings us to the next question, because I wanted to yeah. ask you, what do you think makes Scotland's social enterprise movement unique? Well, Scottish, the Scottish social enterprise movement is pretty famous, really. The Scottish government have invested a lot in the infrastructure and designing the architecture of an ecosystem. They've heavily invested in enabling social enterprises to flourish. Don't get me wrong, it's not perfect. It's a challenging environment for everybody. But I think the government and other people recognise that if you want to create glue at a social level and create services that the mainstream private organisations aren't going to deliver and the public services can no longer deliver, social enterprises are a great way 
of being able to fill in some of those gaps and also to innovate, you know. But yeah, the Scottish ecosystem is great. The Scottish culture of uh, conservative with a small c, traditional with a small t and socialist with a small s all combines to make quite a good social enterprise value base, I suppose. It's a small country, so people know each other and you get help, you know. Yeah, so between the social enterprise and network is really tight as well. Besides being a social entrepreneur yourself, at the Melting Pot you have seen many new social enterprises. And what are common challenges social enterprises face and how do you think they can navigate through them? All small businesses going from an idea into a physical reality and a growing team face similar challenges, whether they are a social enterprise or non-social enterprise. So turning the idea actually into reality is a huge process, getting the right people around, getting investors, the right investors, the timing of things, oh, learning by doing, all sorts of stuff. You know, there's only so much planning you can do and then you have to respond and keep going. So these things are all common. The specific things for social enterprise is, I think, the complexity of having two types of stakeholder who buy from you. So you have the stakeholders who are the investors in the idea, who want to see the social change happen, and then you have the stakeholders or clients who are the users of that service or product, um, who, who maybe don't pay or pay a reduced rate to access that. So these are very different skill sets. If you run a small business selling shirts, for instance, or socks, then your customer is just one customer. But to make social change happen, to make social enterprise work, you've got a much wider variety of customers and they mm -hmm. require very different handling mechanisms. And I think that's quite a unique challenge as a small business. Also, we operate in a fragile market. We operate where there's a gap and a need. It's not necessarily massively profitable or viable. It's, you know, the margins of things. So this also makes it challenging. What would be a tip to navigate through these challenges? Understand what your value proposition is, to use the modern jargon. What's your value proposition to your customers, the different types of customers that you've got, the stakeholder investor types? and the hunters who use your facilities or services. Learn to communicate differently to each of them. Know what each of them need. I think there's a lot to be said for looking after yourself and the team along the way. Many social entrepreneurs get exhausted and burn out to this. And, and, and that's not to say that small businesses don't as well. Running mm -hmm. a, Setting up and running a company is a challenge. So being able to step back and take a distance from something that you passionately believe in, otherwise you wouldn't bother doing it, you know, go and get a job, it's so easier. So being able to look after yourself along the way and look after those around you, being able to afford to do so, is a real challenge. Take time out, go for a walk, make sure you get good, make sure you get a good night's sleep and you eat healthily. You know, all the basic stuff that we can fail to do because everything else is so important. Okay. Get it in perspective. The reality is most people know that, but they don't actually act on it. Well, thank you for that insight. I think it will help a lot of people making that, oh. that jump and remember it. <laughs> what do you feel is the role of community building in social enterprises? Community building is central to many social enterprises because they fundamentally exist to plug the gaps, meet needs, create services or products that add value to society and kind of packaged around that or within it, it runs through it, is this notion of community building. So community building has a wide variety of ways of being delivered, whether that's through 
you know, a social enterprise providing a resource or, or but a social enterprise, village hall, community development trust, getting people in the local community together to deliver on a shared vision for the area. You know, that's inherently community building along the way. There's lots of types of community, communities of interest, communities of geography. People come and go from the community. Uh, they have different levels of involvement and engagement in it at different times in their lives. So one shop doesn't fit all, one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much. Uh, what for you is the key element to make meaningful connections within and between communities? I think genuineness matters. Like understanding your why, your mission is fundamental to all social enterprises. It's not just about selling widgets, it's why you're selling widgets or services, or what's going to happen as a result of it. So understanding the why is, is fundamental. What other inspiring organizations or projects have you come across recently that are creating a positive social impact? Well, I'll talk about one of the alumni from our Good Ideas program, which is our um, incubation program that helps people refine, develop and prototype their good idea for social change. And um, a woman called Celia set up something called Hey Girls, which is going great guns. And uh, it's all about alleviating period poverty. And she was very early into that market within the UK. There's all sorts of copycat stuff going on from very big brands. But you know, it takes an innovator to spot a need. Other people are always going to step into that market once something's successful. So she's done amazing work about uh, helping people contribute practically to other people's poverty and alleviating the discomfort of um, severe discomfort around issues to do with poverty and periods. That's good. Uh, any other projects that you feel like mentioning? Well, another project came through our incubation program. There's loads. We've worked with over 70. But um, a project called the Edinburgh Tool Library. Uh, it was the first tool library in the UK. Chris got the idea from someone in America, but you know, someone's got to do something first. There's always early innovators, <laughs> pioneers. So Chris is doing marvellous, uh, helping other communities look at, could they create a tool library? It is what it says. It's a tool library. So you don't have to own all of these ridiculously expensive equipment that you might only use for three minutes. You can go and borrow one. And you're having a network of people who are quite practical, because particularly as you know, the world changes. We're not in 1950s America anymore. People don't all have tools and skills and competence to repair things, mend things, have access to that knowledge or know people who can do it. You know, people's parents who might have those skills of maybe live further away. So, you know, how do I do X? Well, I don't know. Unless you've got money, you're mm. stuck with not being able to do something. Or you throw something away because you can't repair it. So, uh, tool library is a great tool. A great, a great tool. Yeah, sounds pretty good. If I was in a development country yeah. and I would want to start like a co-working space to develop yeah. the community, what would be your single piece of advice to this person? Developing a co-working business takes time. So getting your ideas together, the exploration stage, is only one part of the journey. People get fixated on having the building having the building, and then you've got to populate it, and then you've got to service it. It's a really complicated thing to get off the ground. It's surprisingly complicated, and depending on your access to resources and to buildings that may or may not be available, some places, it's lots of buildings exist that are empty, but then is there actually a market? 
and other places where there's very little property available, there's too much competition. So how, how do you find your place? And, but fundamentally, it takes quite a long time to set up an open co-working business. And don't underestimate that because people go and say, oh, I'm going to work for a space in the next six months. And they haven't got a business plan. They don't know what they're doing. They haven't got a team. They haven't got a building in mind. So well, that's not going to happen. So how are you going to resource the exploration stage, that setup stage, and then who is going to deliver the operational delivery of that co-working business? Because people who set things up are often not the type of people who like to keep things running. Because mm-hmm. they, they, you know, like the developmental biz dev people like to work on the next shiny new project, a new toy. So as after a while running the shop, which, you know, co-working business is a facility, it's got to be open X hours a day, and doing that becomes quite boring after a while. So mm-hmm. think about the journey, uh, think about your own personal journey, where do you want to be in it, how big a team are you going to need to build to position yourself out of a position you don't want to be in anyway, not for that long. So there's a whole load of advice in there. But go and open a co-working business and really develop community in it. It's not just about pot plants, Wi-Fi, coffee and sofas. It's about curating that community and bringing it to life. There's no point building a beautiful car and not putting fuel in it and knowing how to drive. So don't just work on the architecture, work on where you want to take the people that are getting on that bus with you. Wow, that's great advice. Thank you very much. And to finish up, what are some great books you'd recommend to our listeners? So I'm going to recommend one book, which is Start With Why, um, Simon Stepick, I think. Anyway, Start With Why is a very valuable one. Particularly if you're an early, like a pioneer in an industry, trying to do something new and getting your early adopters. And then the second thing is not a book, but it's a five-minute YouTube video that you can then go read more about, and it's a process called Getting Stuff Done. And a colleague of mine referred me and my team to these two things. I read the book, Start With Why, that was valuable, and then the whole team did this Getting Stuff Done methodology, and... For somebody like me who's got way too many ideas and way too much stuff to do, having a way to capture and process and eliminate and record and uh, prioritise all of those ideas. I thought I was quite organised. I am organised, but it's got me hyper-organised. <laughs> but it's great because you can make progress. So work out how to sharpen the sword. Reading all the books you like won't help you sharpen the sword. You've just got to go and do it. So yeah. look at getting stuff done on YouTube. Getting into action. Okay, we'll put that yeah. in the links as well. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Claire, to, to share this with You're us. Okay. And I hope to see All you right, soon, okay. maybe somewhere in Africa. Who knows? Yeah, Ethiopia. Yeah, we'll see. Huh? Sounds pretty good. Cool. Okay, thank you yeah. very much. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.